Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Cannon Fire Podcast here on YouTube and iTunes and Google Play as well. We are back here for episode 40. We've got a lot to talk about in terms of Bucks news and let's just jump right into things. We can be quite frank with each other. We're right over the halfway point of the season. Things are looking bad. <laughs> and, uh, and this ship is sinking. The Buccaneers are 3-6. and six. You lose uh, a game you really shouldn't have lost against Washington at home. And it's just not looking good for our pewter pirates right now. So this ship is definitely sinking. But welcome back to the show for episode 40, the big 4-0. If you're new around here, I am your host, the Bias Buck Fan Rat. Joined alongside me, as always, my good buddy and co-host, Mr. Bucks Football, Evan. And, uh, Evan, I mentioned before, this ship is is going down, buddy. Are you hanging on, or how are you feeling? Well, I mean, people are trying to hang on. There, there, there's some people in the Bucks organization that are already in the water. Uh, but it's, um, uh, Dirk Cutter's one of those guys I think's already he's already under. You know, and I I think something about the situation that just feels so much more dire than it has years past. Because we had this same exact conversation this time of the year last season. You said, Cutter needs to go. We need to get some new faces in there. This Buccaneers franchise needs a facelift. And essentially, that's exactly what we got going into last offseason. You didn't make a change at head coach, so you stick with Dirk Cutter and you have faith in his staff. You Which bring was a lot fine. Of new talent. I mean, I, I, was, I was okay with that. Yeah, you bring I wasn't in a lot angry. Of, you bring in a lot of new talent, and some of that talent has panned out. Look at Jason Pierre-Paul. Look at Carl Nassib. Even though he was brought in towards the latter part of the offseason, pretty much the beginning of the mm-hmm. season, he's panned out. Some of your rookies look okay. Carlton Davis has had his moments. MJ Stewart has been okay. Vita Vea has not showed up. A lot Mount of this draft class doesn't get look more bad. carries, but like uh, a lot of this draft class does not look good so far. A lot of the free agent signings. Mitch Unride still hasn't played a down of Buccaneers football this entire season. Uh, I mean, things are looking bad, but the reason they look so different to me this year is that we're not talking about just another head coach change. We're talking about potentially a new head coach, a new general manager, people rallying for a new front office, basically just a rebuild. And I feel like this is the closest we have been in the past few years. We, we've been so close to just being there, and now it feels like we've fallen so far, and here we are with, what, seven games left to play? Yeah. Doesn't yeah, well, good. new head coach, new general manager, most likely means new quarterback. Um, new quarterback means you're either drafting one or there's a new quarterback coming in from free agency. That may mean that uh, some of the players like Gerald McCoy – um, not possibly Quan Alexander, uh, Deshaun Jackson. Those players may or may not be here next year. Demar Dotson, the, those type of players may or may not be here uh, next year. And it's a scary thing. Uh, personally, like I said, I still do not think that Jason Light is going to get fired. Um, I think that Dirk Cutter will, and I think ultimately. Um, I, I, I do think that Jason Light's going to stay. And Rhett, ask me who I think the Buccaneers quarterback is in 2019. Just, just, just ask. 
Who do you think the Buccaneers quarterback is in 2019, Evan? On opening day, 2019. I don't know. You have no idea who they're going to play. I have no idea what the rest of the roster is going to look like. But based on what what I think with, with light staying and everything, I think the Buccaneers opening day starter is going to be James Winston. Um. Now, is this uh, Jameis Winston who just got paid $20 million, or is this Jameis Winston who's sticking around making bare minimum on a franchise tag? It's a really good question. Um, because if, pro- if, Probably I mean, the $20 million one because no. to me, that's just an easy fix to me. And then he's not under contract for that sixth year at all. So you basically tell them, hey, you want your big money? You got to earn it this year. This is you're giving them one last shot. Well, here's what See, I'm looking at. I'm looking at a Jameis Winston who isn't playing against the Giants this Sunday because he is sitting on the bench behind our second string quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, Ryan Fitzpatrick has done great things this season, but at this point in the season, when you're three and six, and the postseason is all but out of sight, why are you not starting Jameis Winston? Who's the guy that you really want to pay attention to? Because we're talking about $20 million here. Yeah, and the way that I, I see it is I don't think he's going to be getting paid $20 million. If he doesn't play the rest of the season, I have trouble believing he'll be here opening day next year. I, 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 it all depends on if Light stays. If Jason Light stays, I don't see a way to get rid of James Winston. I, I'm just saying. Okay. Um, well, now, if Light's gone, I think James is definitely gone. But maybe somebody had also brought this up to me. Maybe if the Glazers still believe. See, nobody really knows what the Glazers think. Because the Glazers really keep things behind closed doors. So nobody knows the Glazers' opinion on Light, Cutter, Winston, any of the players. Nobody really knows. They're definitely not so, Jerry Jones. I'll give you that. No. and I, I Thank God. I prefer the Glazers <laughs> be like they are. Um because then the Buccaneers might be even more of a circus. Um, We'd get but, a big and, new fancy stadium out of the deal. Yeah, well, yeah. And then instead of a a star at the top of the top of the stadium, just be like one big flag. That'd be dope, honestly. Just, just a huge flag. Um, anyway, so maybe the Glazers make that a requirement for the incoming general manager or head coach that hey. You like Jameis Winston? And if they say no, then eh, you might not consider him over a guy who does like Jameis Winston. Maybe they like Jameis, maybe they don't like Jameis. But I think if Jason Light stays, I think Winston will stay. Um, the best, the most ideal would be that the Bucks. See, the only problem is, okay, the Bucks could technically release Winston, I guess, and then sign him to a short-term deal with worth less money. But I don't know you want James Winston getting out in the open market at all. Right. You know? Well, we had because already seen – I, I had mean, seen a report a couple of weeks ago saying that the Giants had reached out about him right before the uh, the trade deadline. I I didn't – I haven't heard anything. I, I mean, it could be true. I, it was I, a few I just, weeks I ago. Heard, I, I haven't heard anything. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard anything about that. Um, but, yeah, I mean – I, it all depends on if Jason Light stays. It, it really does. Uh, and, and we'll get into the whole cutter thing and the whole quarterback situation later. Yeah. Um, but but right now, I do think that uh, the opening day starter will be Jameis Winston. 
but if, if Jason Light's not here, that likely means that there's a new quarterback. It, it might be Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't think it will be, but it, it could be. And I like the theory that if Jason Light stays, that Jameis is going to stay too, because we've brought it up before where you have a lot of NFL GMs who don't have a chance to draft multiple franchise quarterbacks in a sense oh, no. that that one quarterback is associated with that one general manager. Now, Jason Light has Jameis Winston. I don't think either of them want to go. Uh, of course, Jameis doesn't want to leave, but I don't think Jason Light wants to see Jameis leave because kind of circling around back to that point, you know, GMs don't really have a lot of chances to draft franchise quarterbacks. So I, I like that idea that if Jason Light stays, then Jameis will stay too. But let's kind of catch I you back up on um, – I don't understand why they aren't starting him. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I knew you were about to say something. No, but it's all good, man. I, I mean, I, I'm at just some as point, confused I, as you are. Well, I think I have a sort of a, a kind of a theory that if you want me to share later and you want to get to your thing, I, I can share no, later. Go ahead, man. Let's lay it all out now. Okay, so. <laughs> and this might be part of the reason that Winston struggles. I don't think Cutter likes Winston at all. Uh, I don't think Cutter has ever liked Winston. I don't think that Cutter really be- even believes in Winston anymore. I, I think there was little belief in Winston. I think that Cutter misses it, that Cutter um, hates the, the fact that Winston just likes to throw some up. Uh, he's a gunslinger. I don't think Cutter likes that at all. And I think that affects Winston. I do. Because you obviously, Cutter's not going to come out and say, he Anything like to the media or, or, or to Jameis. Yeah, he's not going to walk up to Jameis. Hey, I don't really like you. No, no, no. he's not going to say that. But um, so I think that because it was it was reported that the last one in the Buccaneers, when the Bucks had the number one overall pick, the last one that the Buccaneers, the last person in that building that the Buccaneers had to really turn on to Jameis Winston was Dirk Cutter. Dirk Cutter wanted Marcus Mariota. So, I mean, obviously, Dirk Cutter's not trying to hurt Winston, but he just doesn't like him. And that's why he's going to continue to start Fitzpatrick, because he seriously thinks that Fitzpatrick gives him the best. Okay. Jason Light may have to, Jason Light or the Glazers, may have to come in and say, hey, start Winston. Start Winston or else you're gone now. May have to force his hand because... That's Jason Light's future right there. If Jameis Winston doesn't play, you are you're getting not only yourself fired because Fitzpatrick the past few weeks hasn't shown you anything that can win you any games. You're also getting Jason Light fired because if Jameis Winston can't show you anything else, the last performance you have is a four interception game. Well, here's something else we have to think about too: is that the main reason Jameis Winston was suspended was turnovers. You look at Ryan Fitzpatrick these last two weeks; he's thrown five interceptions. Has he put us in a position to lose the game? I wouldn't say so. But five interceptions in two weeks is Jameis Winston numbers at this point. When you bench your franchise quarterback for turnovers, and then you put in the replacement, and he continues to turn the ball over, what do you have to lose at this point? And something else I want to talk about is Dirk Cutter, and and let's visit this power trip that he's been on lately. Because if you want to talk about a man who is scared to lose his job, (laughs) that is the definition of Buccaneers head coach Dirk Cutter. 
So let's take a look at this Bucks offense against the Washington Redskins last Sunday. 500-plus total yards of offense. Three points to show for it. You go to the end zone five times in a game, and you come away with three points. You want to know how that happens? You have a field goal kicker who can't do his job, first and foremost. And an O-line who can't block. But we can put all of that aside, and we can look at the play calling. Because Todd Munkin who did great things with this offense week one and week two, was not calling the plays. Nope. Dirk Cutter was calling the plays, and he admitted to it at the press conference after the game. You want to know why he was calling the plays? <laughs> yeah, wh- why? Had, right? I, I, I want to hear the detailed answer. Because he had his reasons. Oh, all right. This is a man petrified of losing control of this team while he still has it. And it's well, it's sad because it's costing us football games. Well, they also have a in the Bucks when they got into the red zone also had a, a quarterback who could not do anything in the red zone. Uh, I remember I saw some stats. I believe it was Greg Allman yesterday. I'm trying to look it up now, um, but I had seen something. And it was like Fitzpatrick was had like a stellar game, and then once he got to the twenty yard line, absolutely horrible. Like he he showed his stats from like like not the red zone. Yeah, and it was like perfect. It was perfect. And then you get in, get into the red zone, and he was like. Oh, for six or something oh, with an interception. Um, yeah. So, all right. So here, so it, it. okay. It says uh, the disparity in Bucks' offense Sunday up to the twenty-yard line and inside the twenty is, is outstanding. Outside the twenty, Ryan Fitzpatrick was twenty for twenty-two for two hundred and seventy-two yards entering the fourth quarter. Inside the twenty, he was zero for four with an interception. Finished 29 for 36 for 406 outside the 20. 0 for 5 with an interception inside. I don't get it. Uh, apparently I don't know he if it's... gives. But apparently, no, he gives you the best chance to win, though, right? I mean, at this point, if okay, you say you bench Winston for turnovers. That's fine. Fitzpatrick's committing turnovers. He had five. He's had five turnovers. He's had two interceptions and one fumble. Okay. okay. Then. Okay, everybody's saying, well, okay, you can't go back to Winston then because he's still turning the ball over too. Okay, then go to Ryan Griffin. Don't don't keep uh, – it doesn't make any sense. I, if, if your big thing is turnovers and that is why you bench your franchise quarterback, then go to somebody else. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a really, really rough situation here. And, and uh, I'm not sure when it comes to the red zone situation, if you look at play calling – if you look at the defense that's on the field against the Bucks, if it's well game planned, if you look at offensive players who can't execute, because we've seen just about all of it, that it's really hard to point the finger at a certain area of why the Bucks cannot get the ball into the red zone. But Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> I know why. What's that? Uh, it's, it's pretty clear. It, it's pretty clear, isn't it? It's not a coincidence that the Bucks in the first 
seven, eight games, were able to, to score in the red zone. And then the first game that Dirk Cutter takes over a play calling, they're nothing. They were garbage last year in the red zone with him calling plays, and they were garbage this game. So what does that tell you? Tells He's you that Dirk not... Cutter is scared for his job. That's what we know. But let's take a look at what the Bucks were able to try and do this week to remedy the situation of the red zone. One of the first things I brought up was having a field goal kicker who cannot kick field goals. So what do they do? They let him go. And then they there bring in Cairo Santos, who has worked out with the Bucks before. We talked about him coming into the season. He was who I yeah, hoped he made the team. He, he was last last year after they cut Nick Folk. He he was actually injured last year after they cut Nick Folk. Or else they really like I've heard from somebody inside the organization that at the time last year they really liked him. And the plan was actually to sign Patrick Murray and then wait for Santos to get healthy. But Murray came in and impressed the first few games. And by the time Santos was healthy, Murray was doing fine. So they didn't do it. Yeah, and then they cut Murray at the end of the season. Anyways, so the Bucks Which are going to bring in done. Cairo Santos. And I'll be honest with you, he's going to suck here too. I don't care who you bring in. <laughs> you could bring in Matt Bryant at 35 years old. And, yeah, Matt Bryant 10 years ago, Matt Bryant. And he would still suck here. Why? I don't know. You look at all the awards and Dude. all the accolades that Buccaneers kickers have had before they played in Tampa. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like, yes, you can say that college I mean, kickers don't pan out. Look at Robert Aguayo. But uh -oh. <laughs> I, I tell you what I we mean, need to do through the rest of the, the season. Most, we need to just go ahead he's and the most tank. accurate. We need to go ahead go and tank. Go for two every time. How about that? No, we'll go ahead and tank. We'll try and get a top five pick. And then we'll get Ricky Aguayo because he's in the draft this year. I mean, there's no other oh, way you're going to fix oh, this field goal issue. Dude, as as a partial Florida State fan, <laughs> I, I, I split between Florida State and Penn State. Dude, I watch – he's garbage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's worse than his brother. I mean, honestly, though, you can't – every you sort of can't blame the Bucks for picking Roberto Aguayo. I mean, just like you said, before they come to the Bucks, that there was the most act – you're a kicker in college football They've history. They've picked everything that looks good up until this point. I don't know yeah. why people just yeah. self-destruct in Tampa. I mean, I mean, Nick Folk wasn't the greatest kicker in the world, but he was decent, right? So they pick him up, and he was okay for the first few games. Had a rough game against the Giants and made the game winner. And then the next game versus the Patriots missed a bunch and cost him the game. Catanzaro, not a bad kicker. He... he He's not, and he comes in, and he didn't do horrible, but he didn't do good either. Um, I I think there might have been only one game where he was perfect, and that was the Pittsburgh game, maybe Chicago game as well. But I, think he, that, one. I think he missed one. I think he missed a. I'm pretty sure he missed a PAT against Pittsburgh. I know he missed one. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he just can't do it, and it, it is it is weird. Um, so, I mean, Santos, hopefully, hopefully he can solve it. Um, I mean, even I want to shout out Greg Allman again, uh, because he had posted an article on the athletic, I believe I haven't read it yet, but he said that, you know, Bucks fans would even take Carlos kind of Santos doesn't have to be great. He, he has to be average, <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to be fantastic. It's there's the the opening line of the article thing. 
like the the link thing. After six kickers in four seasons, the Buccaneers desperately needed someone new, and Cairo Santos desperately needed a home. Greg Allman explains why simply average will be incredibly welcome in Tampa Bay. It will be. Because average average makes a 30-yard field goal on average Sunday against the Redskins. Average gets the job done. Yeah, average makes a 49-yard field goal. Average makes your extra points. That That's obviously – you're not – be making the 60 yard field goal because you're average but if you're average you'll make the kicks that you need to make you're gonna hit the damn kicking net that's for sure i i, I don't know if that's real you don't know if that's, I, that's true a, i have seen a, multiple people and i mean multiple I, I trusted people friends of i only, friends saw, of, I only uh, saw the one person say it there was one guy and then i saw friends of what the buck say it i saw some people over on the stick carriers facebook pit well the bucks mob Facebook page who had said something about it. There are more than one per. There was more than one person who saw this happen, which means, which leads me to believe Stop. that it did happen. And if you guys are how is that possible? If you guys are wondering what we're talking about, there was a story that popped up after the game on Sunday that said warming up on the sideline, Chandler Catanzaro missed the field goal net, like he missed it wide right. Now, now I remind you that you're you are standing right in front of this net. Like it's not like it's far away. Like I mean, you were standing, and it's the net's tall. Like I mean, yeah. you were standing. I I could hit it every time. Right. And he he found a way to miss. Now, do we know if that's a hundred percent true? No, but it is damn sure funny. So, we've spent the first half of the show really talking about everything that the Bucks have not done well up to this point in the season, and there hasn't been a lot done well up to this point of the season. But. Let's take a look at what was good against Washington. And one of the people that I really want to highlight, someone we've talked about a little bit on the show, but not too much, is running back Peyton Barber. Now, it's been a slow and lengthy process, but I think we're finally starting to see Peyton Barber turn into a next-level running back. No, he is not a Todd Gurley or a James Conner, not the other Steelers running back, but he's consistent and he runs with a purpose, and that's exactly what we need. Did he put up 100 yards against Washington? Uh, no, I believe he had, I want to say, close to 80, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll check that for you, but I want to say it was it was his best game of the year, I think. Regardless, Either that he had one his, or the Atlanta game. He had his fair share of highlights. And it's it not running light. strong. He, he was running strong, and that's a pattern we've seen from him all year. It seems like he runs stronger and stronger every game, dragging guys behind him, yeah. making moves and making people miss. He had that one miraculous play where he was chased five yards behind the line of scrimmage, broke a few tackles on the sideline, like I'm talking right there where the out-of-bounds marker is, and he ran up the field, and mm -hmm. I don't know if he converted, but he gained about six, seven yards on a play that was supposed to be a total loss. So yeah. this guy's out here making nothing into something. And it's something I haven't seen out of a Buccaneers running back in a pretty long time since Doug Martin had his best days in yeah. the Bucks. So I mean, I'm, I'm Doug pretty Martin excited about a him. A little bit, a, though. Like, I'm like pretty excited. Barber's been doing it consistently. Yeah, and, and it's safe to say that I'm pretty excited about Peyton Barber starting at the running back position. I feel good about it because he is just—he's been a freight train lately. Yeah, I mean, I still hope Ronald Jones is getting healthy because he. I think Ronald Jones was just getting into a, a little bit of a rhythm. I think before he, was he got too. hurt. I think we were just um, about to see the best version of Rojo in Tampa that we've seen his entire rookie year, 
And then, of course, he went yeah, down. So. Now, do we have an ETA on when he's coming back? Because I haven't heard it too, well, much, uh, too much on that end. He, he, he has uh, he's returned to practice on a limited basis. Uh, I don't think he's going to play this week. I think next week's more realistic. Um, so, yeah, he's returned to practice. He practiced yesterday. He practiced today. Um, that's pretty much all I can tell you right now. That's all I know. Um, so, yeah, that that's pretty much it for that. Um yeah, Peyton Barber had 13 attempts, which, by the way, he should have had more the way he was running the ball. 61 yards, and his long was 14. He averaged 4.7 yards per carry. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick was the other rusher, 8 attempts, 35 yards. He had to run for his life. The, the offensive line, yeah, just like did. you had mentioned, especially in the red zone, they were they were awful. Um, and also, I want to talk about the defensive line, because that really that got me the most angry. Um Jaquiz Rogers one attempt for zero yards, but he had 102 yards in a receiving game. Um, Sean Wilson two attempts for seven yards, and something else I want to talk about. I want to talk about two things really fast, and we can go on to the next segment. It's one, all good. they're not using OJ Howard nearly as much as they should, and that's cr- uh, that should be uh, illegal. Yeah, um, because I mean this dude is incredible. All right, I don't use that word much, but he's obviously non non people who don't really watch Bucks games and stuff. People who don't watch a lot of Bucks games, people who don't want, look at the stats for Bucks, you know, because it's the Bucks, don't realize it. OJ Howard's a top five tight end. You, okay, Kelsey, Gronkowski, maybe Zach Ertz. Who else is who else in the league's better than him? Besides really don't those, have a lot of big name tight ends that come guys, to mind. Besides those three guys, what other tight end would you take over OJ Howard? I mean, there really aren't any at this point. You know, it OJ Howard is so underused in this offense that you brought up. It is criminal. He had one catch. We've seen him do special things, and even with that one catch he had against Washington, he was able to do what he needed to do and move the ball at least ten plus yeah. yards down the field, if F- I remember correctly. Fifteen yards. Fifteen yards. This is a guy who's gotten better at blocking, by the way. That was his biggest concern last year, his rookie year. That's the reason he was the lowest-rated first-round pick on Pro Football Focus was because he couldn't block. He's gotten a hell of a lot better than that, mm-hmm. and I'd say his route running is twice as what it was last year because he is such a mismatch for so many NFL defenses that he always finds a way to get open. He's literally a bigger, stronger version of Mike Evans at the tight end position. That's what yeah. I think of. If Mike Evans played tight end, it would be O.J. Howard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and also, the other thing is the defensive line. The Washington Redskins were without three of their five starting linemen, and the other one was hurt, was playing hurt. How many sacks did the Bucks have? One. Two. One. One and a half, two? They had two sacks. Okay. They, they, they had two sacks. Gerald McCoy was got on one. top of one of them. Gerald McCoy got one, and Vitave and Carl Nassib got a half. The, the The Bucks website listed as one for those guys, but I'm pretty sure they count as half. Um, yeah. <laughs> you spent how much money on the defensive line? Are you kidding? It's the me? most expensive like, in the league right now. I think it's we, like fifty three million floating around there. We have also here on the show. We have gloated. And sung 
sung the, the praise of Jason Pierre-Paul, where the hell were you? Really? Where, where were you on Sunday? Well, here's You're what facing- this game... Here's what this game showed me, and I will continue to defend Jason Pierre-Paul and Carl Nassib. I'll put them in that umbrella, too. Jason Pierre-Paul, am I pissed that he didn't show up against Washington? Yeah, man, it sucks when you have players who don't show up. But this is a guy who's done his thing week in and week out. This is his first game without a sack since, I think, week one. Uh, I mean, Jason Pierre... You're paying him $12.5 million, and he's going up against a backup tag. And he's going up against and, a backup I mean, tackle. I, but but guess what? Nobody else on that defensive line showed up or did their job the entire season. If we're being realistic here. This game, to me, showed just how much this Bucks defense relies on a guy like Jason Pierre-Paul. He didn't show up, and nobody else really did either. Yeah, two sacks, that's great. But we have one interse- uh, we have one turnover that's the entire season. I think a season yeah, low in the I, NFL is like nine or ten. Well, they got tur- turnovers wise. They they have th- they have four turnovers, I believe. It, it, on, as a defense, they have four turnovers. Can you imagine breaking they the have, sack record as JPP on yeah. the worst defense they, in NFL history? Yeah, like I which mean, one is going to overshadow so, which? At the end of the year, when JPP has a career year. Gets a career high for sacks, and he's like, yeah, I played my best football on the worst team in NFL history. Yeah, I like, people, a lot of people might be like, oh, well, it was the worst defense. So, <laughs> But, yeah, the Buccaneers have one interception. I don't know. And the NFL has become more of a passing league. How is that possible? I know I really wasn't expecting them to get an interception on Alex Smith because that's the way Alex Smith plays. Alex Smith typically just doesn't throw many interceptions. Um, Andy Dalton, he throws some picks. Uh, Baker Mayfield is a rookie. He throws some picks. Yeah. We've seen him do um, it. He had a two-interception game not too long ago. Mitch Trubisky is a second-year flyer on an offense that was not good. Who's actually catching fire right now. They're looking good. Um, <laughs> Matt Ryan, he can throw some picks. They're not perfect. Cam Newton, he can throw some picks. Cam Newton's having the best year of his career as much as I hate him for it. I I just don't I I don't know. It, it's that's like impossible to me. They're, they are expect them to get an interception. They're not going to. They will not get another interception. I don't know if they'll get another turnover this year. I don't think they'll get another I, interception the until turnover, week seventeen. The last turnover they had was for on special and that was in the Cleveland game. Yeah, that was the fun. And that basically won them the game. I don't know, man. I don't know. Things need to be changed, and uh, it's something that I'm hoping happens this offseason because, ladies and gentlemen, we are looking forward to next year. But let's move on to the final I mean, segment dude, of the show. I'm just say, if they can't beat the Giants team, they're not winning another game this year. Yeah. I, I know the Giants looked better on Monday night. I don't care. The Giants are still bad. The Giants are still bad. But the Bucks may be worse. But let's the, the Bucks are bad, but I think the Giants are a bit worse. So right, let's, e- let's move on. Eli also throws some picks. <laughs> I, I know you want to move on. Hold on for a second. Let me not censor you. I'm and sorry. I, Get it all out. And speak, speaking of J- here's the last thing. Speaking of Jason, oh, 
I hope he was conserving his energy for this game then. And then that's the reason he didn't show up game. versus the Redskins. Yeah, that'd be nice. If you if you finally broke the Bucks sack curse against your old team, that'd be cool. That'd be dope. But let's go ahead and move on to the final segment of the show. I've got music queued up this time, so it should be good. But ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the Cannon Fire Podcast. Bucks football head coaching candidates for the 2019 season. And introducing the host of this segment, Mr. Bucks Football, Evan. Evan, it's all yours. All right. Well, of course, I I, I don't want to talk about this because in a perfect world, the Bucks would be six and three and and just beating the Redskins, you know, 24 to nothing. And all of Jameis Winston is, you know, is an MVP candidate and all that stuff. But unfortunately we don't live in a perfect world. So the Bucks are currently six and three. And I know some of you may be like, Oh, it's way too early to be talking about candidates. Well, I'm going to ask you this. If you're really sitting there listening to this, thinking about that, this, do you actually think their cutters going to survive? Like, no. do you actually think so? No, like, not at this point. You know what I mean? Like, no, I, it would take, I mean, even 8-8 eight and eight ain't going to cut it. So you need to either go 7-0 and oh or 6-1 and one over the next seven games. And you play the Saints, the Panthers, the Falcons still, the Giants, the Ravens, the Cowboys. You know, it's not, I mean, there's some winnable games there, sure. But you, you're not, you're not doing that, Okay. So, a lot of Bucks fans are either looking up mock drafts, looking at free agents that could possibly be available, and they're also at possible head coaching candidates, guys that aren't that are on the top radar, like the John Harbaugh's, the the Bruce Aaron, and those type of guys. And we talked about them last week. I'm not really going to get into those guys much. Um, but I do have a few names here. I don't have many, um, but I do have a few names here that I want to get to. First, uh, Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator Matt LaFleur was the Rams quarterbacks coach, I believe, last year. Went to Tennessee, got, got promoted, and his offense, as uh, a Twitter follower of mine, you know, Chris Fisher, who used to run the Bucks Brief podcast, he had pointed out, and then I started to do more research, his offense is consistently getting better actually each week, um, which is a good sign to see. Marcus Mariota is looking better. Uh, the offense is flowing much better. Uh, you know, and this, I mean, I think we can all agree that this Bucks team has more weapons than the Titans do. So, I mean, I think that LaFleur, he's one of them younger guys. He comes from the comes from the Rams, so he knows about McVay. I feel like he could be a good fit, and I feel like he would bring a, a new energy to the team. I, I mean, I'm not, this isn't like a rumor or anything. I'm not saying the Buccaneers are looking at him. It's just who I would be looking at. Um, another guy is uh, Dan Campbell, who is the Saints tight ends coach. A lot of you might remember him from when his Miami days, when Joe Philbin was fired and Campbell was the interim head coach. 
he, he a lot of people for for him being a tight end coach and only being an interim head coach a lot of people are really high on him and it's because they feel like he's been in the Saints organization for a little bit now since Miami let him go I believe it was like two or three years ago and he has he, he brings an energy and he brings a, a different attitude to to a team and I feel like he knows what he's doing he went five and seven as interim head coach. And we all know that being an interim head coach, it's not easy. You know, coming into that situation, that means things aren't going well. Your head coach has been fired during the season. And you come in and, and you go five and seven. That, that's not bad. Now, a lot of Bucks fans will be listening to me and saying, oh, he went five and seven. Now he's a tight ends coach. Why, do, why would the Bucks want him? You got to start somewhere. You got to take a chance on a guy. You know, like I said, you got to take a chance. Andy Reid, I was just actually just watching uh, a video earlier today. When the Eagles hired Andy Reid in like 2001 or 2002, like, no, it was like 98 or something. Everybody, like the journalists and stuff, hated it because Andy Reid had never been an offensive or a defensive coordinator before. He didn't have much experience. Now, I'm not saying Dan Campbell is going to be the next Andy Reid, but sometimes you got to take a chance. And the Eagles, Andy Reid did not win them a Super Bowl, but I'm sure Eagles fans are grateful that they got Andy Reid, not somebody else. You know, so you got to take a chance. So Dan Campbell, he's from the Saints. Um, we got Matt LaFleur from the Titans. And then we also have, uh, I'm not going to say like Lincoln Ryan. And, and those type of guys, like the big college names, because truthfully, I don't know. I feel like few a few coaches can do that, like the the college move up from like the the college ranks. But I, I don't. I guess I, I could say I'm not the biggest believer in that. The Bucks have already tried that with with Greg Schiano. Didn't really work. Um. So I'm just gonna look at. More coordinators, basically. And I'm going to go to the Kansas City Chiefs. And I believe that the Chiefs have not 100% of the name. I'm looking it up right now, but it's their offensive coordinator. And he's been in the system. He's an Andy Reid guy. I mean, the, the, the coaching tree, if, if you guys don't know, the Andy Reid coaching tree is, is pretty large. Um. It's pretty good, and I mean, you look and Doug Peterson comes from the Andy Reid coaching tree. Um, I believe Ron Rivera comes from the Andy Reid coaching tree. Todd Bowles comes from the Andy Reid coaching tree. Now, I mean, Todd Bowles isn't the best coach, but this could just be another thing of you. Everybody says uh, the Belichick, right? Well... If you look statistically, Belichick, Belichick's guys don't really pan out, which is why that's not the sole reason why I'm out on Josh McDaniels, but I really don't want Josh McDaniels. Really? Because I don't think he'd be I, – I don't – I just don't think he's going to be as good as people say. He was a failure in Denver. Now, I think he'd be better than he would be in Denver, but um, I don't know. I remember it, he it was a frontrunner for us last year just behind Gruden. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but apparently the, the Bucks deemed 
Cutter better than McDaniels, though, because like I said, the, the Bucks went after Gruden, and since they couldn't get Gruden, they kept Cutter because they felt like there was no Nobody coordinator better. that was better. So, I mean, that's that's sort of saying something, that the guy who we're all saying is one of the worst coaches in the league, that the Bucks. I mean, and maybe it's the Glazers, whatever, all right? Maybe it's, it's the Glazers' problem. But, um... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm really trying to look up this guy's name, but <laughs> it's all good. I, man. I, I, it's, it's, it's bothering me. Um, let's see. Uh, oh yeah, well, John DeFlipio. I already, already talked about him. Uh, John DeFlip Flop. <laughs> yeah, Eric B. B. N. Enemy. It's that's like Finding Nemo. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. This is something from, from Trevor Sikkim on, on the Draft Network. And it was just an article about head coaching candidates that are, are possibilities for any team. And he said that uh, we're all watching the Chiefs take the NFL by storm. And one of the men responsible for that is they're off of the coordinator, Eric Bienemi. Bienemi is in his first year as the team's coordinator, and though it is still heavy, or still heavily orchestrated by their head coach, Andy Reid, Bienemi getting to work as closely as, he's, as he does with Reid is a plus in the end of itself. He's been Kansas City's running backs coach since 2013. It requires some research as his name would be new to the potential coach circle with a little experience as he has, but perhaps he's a hidden gem around the league. There's going to be those guys. They're, those guys are out there, you know? You just got to learn to take a chance. Um, yeah. I mean, look at the, the Chargers with Anthony Lynn. Um, those guys, they're out there. You know, Doug Peterson, when the Eagles hired him, everybody hated that hire. They all wanted somebody big, and that's not what they got, but guess what they did get? They got a Super Bowl. You know, so I, I think Bucks fans would all be fine if when, when the Buccaneers hire their head coach and they don't hear him, they're like, oh, who's this guy? But then in two years, you won the Super Bowl. I think most Bucks fans would take that. Right. And if you don't, well, then I don't, I don't know what to say to you. But she's going to take a drink there. <laughs> yeah, and then also, also he lists Todd Munkin on here. A lot of people have asked me, and this will pretty much wrap it up. He's, I don't think I'm not going to list Munkin as a potential candidate um, for the Bucks. But a lot of people have asked me, well, if Cutter would be fired, who would take over as interim head coach? I was like, Munkin, but Cutter's not going to be fired. Like I'm telling you, and, and you still see, do you still think that Cutter's going to be fired midseason? At this point, no. I, I mean, if he still has enough pull to bench Jameis Winston, then I can agree and I can believe that he will make it through the season. As much as I don't like it and as much as I wish he was gone, I don't know if he goes midseason anymore. So I'll give you I'll give you a point for that one because you called me out on that a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, you know, anyways, you know what I would like though? I would like like John Harbaugh and yeah. keep Todd Munkin. So you have John Harbaugh, right? The the defensive minded head coach from the Baltimore Ravens. And we've seen him do great things with that Ravens defense. He can bring in his whole defensive staff. And he can keep the offensive staff that's currently in place besides Dirk Cutter. And I would also replace George Warhop, the offensive line coach. 
So I would I would keep Todd Munkin. I would keep Skylar Fulton, the wide receivers coach. I would keep Ben Steele, the tight ends coach. You'd pretty much I, keep I your offensive staff keep. because at this point, let's look at it. Yeah. You know, this is the number one offense in the NFL. Yeah, the only really change the I ball, would make is I, I would get I, I would get rid of uh, George Warhawk, but um, yeah. So have Harbaugh bring in his whole defensive staff, and then sort of leave the offensive staff alone. Have Munkin call plays. You might have Munkin call the offensive plays. Have Harbaugh call defensive plays if he wants to. He can probably put together a great defensive staff. Have you know defensive coordinator whoever it would be call plays. I don't care. That could work. That's what John Gruden did. When John Gruden came in, John Gruden did not touch the defense. He kept everybody on the defensive staff, but he replaced the whole offensive staff. And look how that worked out. Exactly. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But Evan, we went over some coaching candidates, talked about a dream situation with John Harbaugh and not touching the offense. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's just about going to do it for this episode of the Cannon Fire Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, whether it's on YouTube, iTunes, or Google Play Music. You can follow the show on Instagram at Cannon Fire Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Cannon Fire Pod. You can follow my co-host Evan at Bucks.Way, formerly Bucks Football, on Instagram and Twitter. Also check out my new Instagram page at BiasedBuckFan, where I uh, go uncensored for a little bit and yell about this team every single Sunday. Check out our partners at PeterReport.com for some of the best Bucks coverage in the game. And check out our sponsors at CoolTowel.com. I am Rhett, signing off for Evan, and we'll see you next time. Go Bucks! Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.